Hello, and welcome to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Dubs Barbell Club, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're looking for no BS training and a team that'll stand by you through all the ups and downs, shoot a DM over to Dubs Barbell Club on Instagram. And I'll swear by this, we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who would do you ill is a vital part of my training, and you can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. This afternoon, I have the privilege of talking with the white rhino, Stan Efferding, the creator of the Vertical Diet, the Cooler, and known around the world as the strongest pro bodybuilder alive. With decades of experiences in the fitness and nutrition industry, as well as a documented track record of success in coaching and performance, Stan has become a stapled nutrition coach for athletes across the board. You don't want to miss any of this episode as we talk about his Shark Tank experience, how to trick your kids into eating their protein, and why salt is the single most important nutrition accessory you aren't using right. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Stan, what is going on, brother? No, I'm doing good, man. Just out here in Las Vegas beating the heat. Man, I'm ba- I, if I had known you were this far west, I would have just come straight to you. I'm in Salt Lake City right now. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's nice up there. Yeah, could have just made the drive and done this in person. But uh, Vegas, that's a, that's a beautiful place. It's a hot place, especially for big guys like us. Indeed. Unfortunately, the gyms are back open. I trained in my garage all summer, which was a hot box, but uh, now I'm back in the AC. I'm spoiled. I'm old. <laughs> yes, you're enjoying the luxuries that some of us are not, but you know, you, you need the help. We'll give you all the help you can get. <laughs> yes, uh, Well, for, uh, for the very few listeners that don't know who you are, uh, I wonder just kind of on the front end, uh, you know, you've been featured on Shark Tank, you've got the vertical diet, you've got podcasts going, you've been bodybuilding, powerlifting. It almost seems at this point like there's nothing you haven't done. Um, but I wonder if we go all the way back to the very beginning. How in the world did you get involved in this crazy fitness industry in the first place? I was just a skinny kid that wanted to get jacked. I picked up an issue of muscle and fitness at the grocery store, and I wanted to look like those guys. That was it. I was 140 pounds when I was an 18-year-old freshman in college. I was a little soccer player, and I just decided I wanted to get big. So I started lifting weights, and that's, uh, that's how it all started. I fell in love with it. Wow. So you actually didn't start lifting until you got to college. Yeah, I dabbled a little teeny bit when I was a teenager, but nothing serious. Just a little uh, those old concrete filled um, bench sets in your garage, you know, and a chin up bar. But I never did much of anything that was uh, that was consistent and I never ate enough food. And uh, just I was just a skinny, skinny kid. I wrestled 98 as a freshman and sophomore and 115 as a junior. Wow. So I was uh, quite tiny. That's for sure. So at, at what point, you know, obviously at this point, those that are, that are listening, I mean, you're not 98 pounds anymore. There, there's been a slight weight difference. You know, what point did, the, did that switch happen where you started gaining weight? Well, I trained for two years and competed in a bodybuilding show. I weighed 158 and I was uh, 
I was training two hours a day, six days. I was eating bodybuilding food, tuna fish and rice cakes. And then uh, finally, I ran into a gym owner that told me I was doing everything wrong. I needed to be eating more and training less. And so I just dove into it. I started, uh, I set a timer. I started eating every three hours like clockwork. I was getting nine hours of sleep every night and lifting hard and consistently. And it took me 10 years to get up to 275 pounds when I competed in my first powerlifting show or competition. I totaled 2,000 pounds, weighing 272 in 1996 after over 10 years of, uh, of training. Wow. So your first powerlifting meet, you totaled 2K. That's correct. Yep. So, uh, you know, usually when I ask this question to people, they, they haven't quite made it that far, you know, in their strength journey. But I love going back to the first moment you step onto the stage. Now, for you, it, it wasn't powerlifting. It, it was bodybuilding. But I wonder you know, if we start with powerlifting, that first moment you step on the stage, the first moment, you know, you hear that squat command. I wonder if you can even just relive that very first lift at your first powerlifting meet. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it was such a, a small little thing. It was in a, a, a dumpy little hotel. I, if I thought hard, I could remember the name of it, but uh, just in a tiny conference type room. And, uh, uh, there wasn't all that many competitors there, to be honest with you, but it was uh, USPA sanctioned, I believe. And if I thought long and hard enough, I could remember the uh, the uh, uh, the promoter of the show, uh, who was quite popular, a strong man for many, many years. Um, it's escaping me, but the interesting thing was, is that it wasn't very professionally run. You had your own spotters, your friends spotted for you, of course, when wow. you walked up there. And, and they had never spotted before because in the gym you had the racks and, you know, we just never really did nothing but a back spot. And I actually uh, missed my opener and lunged forward with the bar. And I remember the head judge pushing his chair back because <laughs> it, looked, it looked like I was going to dump it right in because it was on a little stage. I thought I was going to fall right into his lap, but... Uh, I recovered and got my second lift. I think it was a 750-pound squat in my first powerlifting uh, three-lift three meet and a high fives, mid-fives bench and a 700-plus pole. I uh, ended up with uh, 2,000 and a quarter pounds or 2,001 pounds, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, yeah. I, I can imagine just the terror on the judge's face. He just sees all this weight moving towards him. He just... He thought, man, maybe I chose the wrong career. <laughs> uh, you know, the show ran, it ran really long. I can, one thing I can remember is uh, after the bench press, there was such a long delay and there was uh, so many people that uh, I actually took a nap. I fell asleep. And then my training partner came running up and said, hey, you're up to deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> I, he woke me up from a dead sleep and I ran back and I pulled a couple of quick deadlifts and I went out and um, pulled my opener and I ended up on my third lift pulling over 700 pounds and I got to, I think it was like a 722 or something. Uh, to uh, The guy who took second, I think got 2,001 2, quarter pounds and I got 2,001 pounds. It was, a, it was yeah. quite a, it was 2 a.m. in the morning, by the way, when I finished my final lift. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Wow. You know, yeah, they go on forever. Same with the bodybuilding shows these days. It's damn near midnight before the finals are over. It's, uh, it, 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 they, they just take forever. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, as a spectator, it's even worse because you're like, man, I can't wait to see my friend go lift and they're on the platform for less than a total of nine minutes. And it's like, well, maybe yeah. I should just stream this. <laughs> 
No, it was, it was Gus Ruthwich, as a matter of fact, for those people out there, powerlifting uh, or strongman enthusiasts that remember old Gus, he, he was around competing in the world's strongest man since as far back as probably the 70s. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a blast from the past for sure. Not to date you, you know, at all. At a ripe age of 35, yeah. I would never date you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we, if we mm-hmm. even jump back a few more years, I, I made sure to do my, my due diligence for your first bodybuilding win uh, as Mr. Oregon back in 1991. So if we go back even yeah. further, what was that first experience of a win even like for you mentally as you kind of launched into the next decade, two decades of, of lifting competitively? Yeah, I mean, that was nice. That was obviously a big one. But, uh, uh, you know, way back then, of course, being the big fish in a little pond, you know, winning a state championship, uh, I never really envisioned those local shows as being, you know, my ultimate goal. I, I, I had for years uh, been up to the regional qualifiers, to the national qualifiers, to the uh, pro qualifiers. I used to drive down to Venice and watch those guys. Uh, those are, you know, neat stepping stones, but I always had my eye on the prize and I knew I needed to be, uh, you know, at six foot, I needed to be north of 240 to ever do anything at a national level. And I won the Mr. Oregon at 201. So I knew I was far away from my goal. <laughs> right. Just about 40 pounds off. You're like, well, I should probably keep going up and wait. <laughs> yeah. It took a long, long time. I never gained 30 pounds in a month or three it was always you know 10 pounds a year if that it was a long long struggle for me yeah well and I know we see a lot of these guys who are and I I think you've spoken on this before who cut these absurd amounts of weights right before competition or they're bulking up absurd amount of weights like within that last month Um, and and I think I heard you say before you know those last 30 days you really want to be at competition weight already so I wonder if you can just speak into that for a minute because I know especially with the growth of powerlifting, the USAPL, you know, all these guys who are a buck 50 uh, walk around not really looking like they lift too much, but are then cutting these drastic amounts of weight to become competitive. What is that doing to them long term? Is that sustainable or is it, I mean, really just destroying their chances of actually winning anything? Yeah, it does lose strength when you're losing weight during that last 30 days in particular. Mass moves mass and you end up losing a decent amount of muscle tissue. Uh, when you're dropping weight. So I much prefer to drop the weight further out, you know, night, days 90 through 30, and then uh, hold that weight. And when I say drop the weight, I mean getting to within a 48-hour water cut. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to weigh in at 220 class, you don't want to be north of, say, 235, 48 hours out. And so I'd like to see you 235, 30 days out. And managing those weights, uh, those loads, and training at that weight. And then we just have to cut water. Some guys can do some pretty extreme things. I mean, I've done water cuts for nearly every world record holder in every weight class in powerlifting over the last 10 years. I took Dan Green from 248 pounds down to 220 in 48 hours and back up to 252 within 24 hours. When he set the 220 world record, he weighed 252 on the platform. So you can do some extreme things. A guy like Dan is, one, he's a grinder, and two, he had a ton of muscle mass. And that's what you need because that's where all the water that you can drop and replace is held. 
Um, you can't drop fat, obviously, in the last uh, 48 hours. And uh, if you carry a lot of fat, you're not going to be able to drop as much water because it's mostly in the muscle. So I'm not a big fan of it. I hate water cuts. I, I did water cut for Larry Wheels and, uh, you know, just about every weight class there was, uh, Eric Lillybridge, you name them. I did water cuts for them, and, and I always discouraged them. I really didn't like them. The biggest water cut I think I ever did was um, about seven pounds. I, I think that I would get down to about under 285, 282 to hit 275 for the, the weigh-in and then back up to, you know, low 280s for the, for the actual meet. So I was never really much heavier than most of the time when I competed at 275, I was 275 or 272. I weigh in at night at, at 275 the, the day before. Uh, you know, it, it didn't matter to me. I was pretty close to gaining mass was always hard for me. I did get over 300 pounds a few times, but it was, uh, it was for competitions that weren't, uh, I didn't have a weight class. It was for the world's strongest pro bodybuilder, you know, that kind of stuff. It was just uh, exhibition stuff in the animal cage. I would bulk up for that, but never, uh, never to get to 300 and try and drop to 275. I, I just didn't do it that extreme. Yeah. And, and I mean, because as you've just said, I mean, it's, it's, near impossible to maintain those strength levels if you're cutting like that especially same day weigh-ins when these guys are weighing in an hour and a half before they compete and they've just cut 15 pounds in the last you know day not even water cut they're just they're just starving themselves and then they get on the platform dehydrated no nutrients and hurt themselves oh yeah it's terrible. I never do. I don't like same day weigh in cuts anyhow. I think they're terrible. So I encourage people to be within just a couple, three pounds for a same day weigh in. Yeah. Yeah. Because at that point, you pretty much sweat that out overnight. It's pretty easy to do. Or even pee it yeah, out. And to, not, and to not lose that weight over the last 30 days. I don't want them to be 235, 30 days out, dieting down to 222 for a same day weigh in over the last 30 days. You're going to lose strength. Matter of fact, when I worked with um, uh, Rob Kearney, who did the, uh, the set the American record in the overhead log press, he came to me. He said he felt uh, said he felt terrible. He said he, he felt he was tired. He was bloated. He was uh, not recovering fast. And uh, you know, I knew immediately he had some some of the effects of metabolic syndrome. He's probably had a little elevated blood sugar and blood pressure. And, uh, so he wanted to lose weight, and he was ten weeks out from. Uh, competing or, or trying to set that American record in the overhead log press. And he said that he missed a 400 pound log press in training. And uh, the American record that he set 10 weeks later was a 476 log press. Yeah. And that's not, you know, he's been up there before. So it's not like he was only a 400 log presser, but that's how bad uh, his recovery was and his fatigue was at that point, 10 weeks out. And so he said he wanted to lose weight and I wasn't going to take weight off of him. I told him, sure, no problem. We'll do whatever you want to do. But I was lying through my teeth. There's no way I'm going to take weight off of the guy. Yeah. You know, you'd be the worst trainer in the yeah. world. Mass moves mass. So I, I told him, sure, no problem. I just made some minor manipulations. Uh, he had really bad water retention. So I increased his uh, potassium intake and that leveled out his water retention. He had bad bloating. And so I changed him to a low FODMAP menu. Uh, he was having some blood sugar issues. And so uh, I had him do 10 minute walks after each meal and that helped partition nutrients better, put him on some vitamin D3 and, uh, you know, just from there, just fed him some foods that, uh, were a little more comfortable on his stomach. And he ended up actually gaining about five pounds, but felt much better, had less water retention, you know, digestion problems went away and, uh, his uh, recovery was much better. 
And then he hit that, you know, he started filling out his upper body. He started showing pictures on social media of his shoulders and his arms started really getting bigger over that 10 weeks because he was partitioning nutrients towards muscle instead of fat. You know, so his, his belly wasn't as distended, but his, his upper body was getting thicker and, and bigger. Same thing we thought saw happen with Hofthor Bjornsson and Brian Shaw when I started working with them. Their upper bodies started getting much bigger and their stomach uh, started getting a little smaller. And that's just a lot to do with uh, using a CPAP, uh, you know, controlling blood sugars, using high fo or low FODMAP, you know, easy to digest foods, those kinds of, of remedies. Uh, clearly, you know, controlling the blood pressure issue and the water retention from uh, lack of potassium. And uh, once we implemented all those fixes, they had a dramatic improvement in their body composition and performance and their general health. And, uh, you know, it's just a win-win all the way around. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and obviously, you're, you're, you're referencing your, your own vertical diet as you've worked with a lot of people. And those that are, that are listening can't see he's got the, the classic get vertical shirt on. Um, and that's oh, yeah. what a lot of people will, will know you for. Um, but I wondered, one, if you can give us the quick minute vertical diet pitch, like your elevator pitch to everybody you've ever met. But I also wonder, what was the very beginning? Like, where did it come about? Was it out of your own training, what you were realizing was working for you and helping you? And at what point did you realize, man, this is something that could really revolutionize the fitness industry? Well, the food portion is really just highly bioavailable, easy to digest, micronutrient-dense foods. I uh, build a foundation first with those. I mentioned potassium, but there's also you know calcium, magnesium, and iron, and uh, choline, and B12, and all those things. I make sure that the foods are richest in those. And then I build on top of that, um, you know, either a big athlete or a very uh, an athlete with a very high workload, like cr CrossFitters training twice a day or football players. Um, you know, utilizing some really easy to digest carbohydrates and uh, make sure they get all the calories that they need, but also can, can utilize those. So that's really kind of the gist of it in the shortest package that I can describe. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've just gotten off, obviously, this remarkably long road trip that I even wonder, you know, as you went to 60 different places, 60 days, you know, what have been some of the best memories from that tour, you know, as you've explored and seen thousands of people given the same kind of pitch, what have been some of the highlights for you even in getting to, to explore that much and share that much? Yeah, I did. Uh, I went to 60 cities in 60 days, all 48 states plus Washington, D.C. Uh, got in an RV and drove the whole trip over 16,000 miles uh, between um, uh, June 13th and August uh, 11th was the trip just this summer that we did it. My biggest memory is, is the fact is how many people that I was able to meet who shared stories with me about how their life was changed or one of their significant others, a family member or their clients by utilizing a lot of the methods and, and, uh, and information that are in the vertical diet or on my videos uh, on YouTube or you know things that I've been sharing with people for many years now that uh, is information that's very helpful. It was helpful for me, helpful for my clients, and uh, these folks were, were genuinely, um, uh, you know, they were very happy to, to you know, to have, have come across the information. They implemented it, and they experienced the improvements they were looking for, and they just wanted to shake my hand and thank me for it, and I thought that was, it was really moving for me. I could have done a webinar, but I, there's no way in hell I would have been able to shake those hands and take pictures with folks and hear their stories. Uh, and that was very valuable for me. Over 4,000 people nationwide attended uh, and waited in line for, you know, sometimes 30 minutes or more afterwards just to be able to, to talk and take pictures and 
uh, it was just an extraordinary tour. I just, it was amazing to see all those brothers in iron, all those people who love fitness and love lifting weights that would, you know, brave the, the COVID scare to come sit and, and listen and, and meet me and uh, just hear me repeating the same stuff they already know. Uh, but, you know, being very, uh, you know, very gracious and uh, just amazing how many, how many folks I got to talk to and shared their story with me. Yeah. And it's got to be just such a humbling experience as well. Like it is, as you said, like we're in the midst of a pandemic, you know, that people are, are willing to come out. I, when you came through DC and I shot you a text, I was like, man, I didn't even realize you were going to be two miles away from my house. And it is, it was just, it, it's remarkable, you know, in a time in which a lot of people are nervous to be in, in gatherings. They're like, no, you know what, this is, this is worth braving it. And I think that's just, that's a remarkable, that's got to be a testament to you, you know, that people are willing to do that for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Very humbling. Well, you know, something that's always really interested me, um, you know, and it, it is kind of this, this dark side of powerlifting, this dark side of bodybuilding, you know, is this, this steroid usage. And so the vertical diet, especially, I'm sure you've had athletes at different points who have been on uh, PEDs. And so I wonder, have you noticed a significant difference um, on the impacts of the vertical diet on someone who may be on steroids versus mm -hmm. someone who may be entirely natural? Yeah, you know, the vast majority of clients that we work with now are natural or they're just dad bods and soccer moms that aren't even athletes. Uh, but you know, one, of the, one of the things that I really dove into in the vertical diet was getting blood tests and trying to mitigate, uh, you know, short and long-term health problems uh, such as high blood pressure and high blood sugar, as we just discussed. Uh, and, and then there are a lot of folks who uh, need hormone therapy, people who are hypothyroid or hypogonadal. Uh, who may need, uh, you know, to, to visit a, a hormone replacement therapist or their doctor to get that fixed. And so we, you know, we tried to design a program and we cover, you know, a lot of that stuff in there on blood testing and, and hormones as well, because, uh, you know, generally if I can improve their health, they're absolutely going to improve their performance. They're going to feel better, uh, have more energy, um, their blood test, their blood, uh, blood work's going to show, you know, better metabolic condition, lower cholesterol, uh, all of those things are, are hugely important. So, yeah, I, I designed the whole thing around health first. And, and I experienced from, you know, my personal experience and working with some of the athletes uh, that, you know, competing. I always said that there's a big difference, but that um, uh, I did a, a rant, actually, where I said, if you want to be healthy, don't compete. And there's a, a difference between health and fitness. You know, fitness is the ability to perform a particular duty or task. And the fitness level required to be a world's strongest man or a UFC fighter or even a 14-year-old gymnast at the Olympics is not healthy. And yeah. so uh, even a bikini girl dieting for a, a bikini show uh, ends up with anemia and amenorrhea and uh, osteoporosis and uh, all those, you know, troubling female triad problems and hypothyroidism and hair falling out. And, uh, you know, that's very common in the industry. And so a lot of what I did in the diet was just to try and get in front of that, try and delay that as long as possible and recover from that as, as well as possible uh, because we're all going to take ourselves into a gray area to win uh, whatever competition we're in. And that's true, you know, not just of drug using athletes, but also natural athletes who yeah. subject themselves to some pretty significant, um, you know, physical health, particularly in terms of those dynamic injuries, et cetera. So, always focused on health. I, I start every diet with that. I start every athlete with that, with a blood test. Let's focus on health first, uh, you know, mobility and uh, just general health. And, and from there, you know, it's just as long as you're consistent, then we can get, we can do just about anything we want within 
uh, you know, the confines of your abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because <clears throat> and it is even, I think people can, can kind of shove drug use into this little corner and say, Hey, this is the worst thing that athletes do to themselves. But it's true. I mean, natural athlete, I mean, you think of people with eating disorders, starving themselves to make sure they fit into the size dress that they want to, you know, guys who are, who are loading themselves with pizza and burgers and da 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 because they're quote dirty bulking when <laughs> all they're doing is killing themselves with the food that they're consuming. Um, but yeah, ultimately health needs to come first. It isn't so much about what you're taking, what you're doing. It's about making sure that you're healthy. So, you know, the, I think a lot of people are almost afraid to get blood worked on on a regular basis, <laughs> either because they're afraid of, of the needle and having to get blood taken out or because um, they just don't want, I don't know, maybe to get the answers that they're nervous that they're going to get. Uh, so what's kind of your recommendation as far as free? Yeah, the, well, it depends. The, the general public probably doesn't need to get a blood test more than once a year. Sure. They should have a baseline. Uh, but athletes should get a blood test more often and anybody using performance enhancing drugs should use, get a blood test even more often. And even people on HRT as they age uh, postmenopausal women and, and hypogonadal men as they get into their forties and fifties, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, hypothyroidism, they might need more frequent testing just to make sure that they're getting the right dosages of, of uh, testosterone or thyroid medication or anything else that's necessary for their health. Yeah. Well, so another area where people may have seen you before, uh, is on the famed NBC Shark Tank. Uh, so I know, of yeah. course, in your website, uh, you know, the cooler. And so I, I made sure to go back and watch the pitch again and see, you know, just the shock on these guys' faces as you're tossing that dumbbell overhead, as you're deadlifting. I wonder if you can even just relive what that experience was like just to be on Shark Tank itself is just such an infamous show. Yeah, that was amazing. I even did a video, Shark Tank, behind the scenes where I walked through it step-by-step uh, from the time I applied to the time I got on the show to shortly thereafter uh, in great detail. But I just tell you in brief that it was uh, over, over 30,000 people applied to get on the show. Uh, fewer than 120 pitched to the Sharks and only about 80 of those make it on uh, to the actual uh, on TV. So, uh, and then, you know, the Sharks don't even know who you are. When you walk in there, all they have is your name and your product on a piece of paper. Uh, so it's all real. And uh, while I practiced my pitch as much as I could, when you walk in there, you don't know what's coming at you. And they just ask all sorts of questions. One thing people don't realize is that um, when they're doing the Q&A, when you're done with your brief pitch and they start asking you questions, in reality, that lasts 30 to 40 minutes. They're taking a deep dive into every aspect of your business and trying to get you to explain it. Uh, on TV, it's, you know, three minutes. Right. And so you're standing there in front of those hot lights being quizzed. Uh, it can be, can be very stressful. And uh, uh, after, I remember afterwards, uh, the one thing that was, was pretty intriguing to me is because you see a lot of people go in there and they'll start crying or, you know, this, they mortgage their home or whatever for their business. Uh, this, they had, had, you had to meet with a psychologist uh, who had to, yeah, had to interview you and make sure that you were okay to get in your car and go home. Because uh, that can be a very, very stressful situation for people. So, uh, but all in all, it went well. The last thing they told me before I walked down the plank to go talk to the sharks was, don't lock your knees. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> That's what, so you don't pass out while you're standing up there. <laughs> yep. I, I purposely moved around. I, you can see me kind of turning and taking steps and, and moving my arms and pointing. And, and because I wanted to, I had to keep active to, to try and quell some of the, the stress. 
that's yeah that's so funny yeah because i mean i i was always when i was growing up i was just an avid watcher of it. you know i just thought it was the greatest thing ever and it is i mean it's a they they're only going to show two and a half minutes so if you're standing there getting grilled by these investors yep. i mean that's it takes a lot to hold your composure i mean you see a lot of people don't hold their composure <laughs> at all so that's wow that's quite an experience yes indeed it is well you know, the product you're, you're pitching is, is the cooler. And I know still on your website, you still got the what's in your cooler. So since that's happened, you know, I know you, you got an investor. I'm already forgetting which investor it was that jumped on board. But you, you've seen a great deal of success. So I wonder what has it been like running that business while also, you know, competing, giving seminars, and trying to figure out a way to balance all that while maintaining sanity in some capacity, whatever that means these days. You know, what, what's your yeah. advice for those that are also trying to do that? You know, fortunately, I was already done competing when I, I did the Shark Tank. I partnered with Damon John, and that business had already been in business for a couple of years, and so operations were in place. I just had to scale it in terms of, uh, uh, you know, getting product and shipping it out. So that wasn't all that difficult. It's one product in, uh, you know, my franchise, the Vertical Diet franchise. The cooler is one product we do. Uh, ebooks and we uh, you know do seminars and online training and we have some uh, clothing that we sell online so uh, there's lots of stuff that we do and have to manage every day and it's just you know it's like anybody going to work and running a business you just have to be organized and consistent and make sure you sleep well eat well and exercise so you've got enough energy to to grind every day and, and get the job done that's it and there's no secrets for that it's just uh, it's work is work I don't care if you you know I love what I do but there's still a lot to do every single day. A lot of people to, to you know, take care of. If you've got customers paying you money, uh, you need to make sure that they're satisfied and answering their questions and providing them good products and services. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's a good word. Well, I was chatting with Marcus Leone last week, uh, and who of course, you know, sponsored by Certified Piedmontese. And you know, a big part of the vertical diet is beef. So I thought it was only fitting to ask you your perfect steak what does the perfect steak look like? How is it cooked? How is it seasoned? I wonder if you can just walk us through the white rhino's steak recipe. You know, I'm so simple because I eat so much so often that it needs to be convenient. And um, I've got this new grill called the Auto Wild Grill. Uh, carnivore, uh, what was his name? Dr. Sean Baker was the one who, who I first saw using it. I actually bought one and took it with me on the tour in my van, in my RV, so I could break it out and, and hook it up to the the uh, the uh, the gas on the back of the van, and we grilled steaks. We just go to Costco. Costco has great steaks. You know, you can't order them from somebody like Piedmontese is great. Um, we uh, New York is usually my favorite. Just salted and grilled, you know, with a kind of a medium grain salt, so it's crunchy a little bit. <laughs> and uh, this grill heats up to 1,500 degrees within three minutes and has a top flame. And the top flame is huge because when I cook in my grill, everything always flames up and burns, and it's just it's terrible. So this one in particular cooks at such high heat that uh, the top and bottom uh, will get that kind of that Ruth Chris sort of uh, crispy crust on it while still being nice and pink in the center and that's uh that's a good steak Ruth Chris is one of my favorites but then you find out that they melt an entire cube of butter on top of that steak and that, right. that doesn't exactly work for everyone's diet 
<laughs> right. You're asking you to say, man, why does this taste so good? And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> that would probably be why. Oh, know. man. Well, yeah, because I know there's, I mean, pretty much everyone who's listening, I'm sure has to be an avid, you know, steak lover. If you're a vegan, I apologize on behalf of you because steak's an incredible God's gift to humanity. But I digress. I have a chapter. I, I train vegans for competition, and I have a chapter in the book on vegetarians and vegans. I just, if you ask me in terms of a good, better, best scenario, what the food, you know, the, the best food to eat, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a steak, and especially for women, because it's been demonized for years, and they suffer from it to a greater degree from anemia, and, uh, you know, the, the zinc is great for their hair, and the B12 important for their energy, so... Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of red meat for sure. A variety, obviously, you know, I, I get whole eggs in there because the egg yolk is such so rich in, in uh, vitamins and minerals and choline and K2 and uh, biotin. And, and I also like to get a serving of salmon in there at least two or three times a week for the EPA and DHA and uh, dairy. Uh, people avoid dairy and they really shouldn't. It's one of the few saturated fats that's actually been proven to prevent cardiovascular disease in in uh, in most of the, the large epidemiology, epidemiological studies. Uh, and so we'll just use like a Greek yogurt if they can't tolerate the lactose in milk. And that's, that's usually very well tolerated, particularly in smaller portions. Over 90, 95% of people can handle a, a four ounce serving of a good Greek yogurt that's uh, lower in carbs and higher in protein. And it's very valuable. The calcium's you know, hugely important for, not just for bones, but uh, also for nerve signaling and for muscle contraction. And, those people who study muscle physiology know that, that calcium actually triggers the excitation relaxation cycle of muscle contraction. So uh, it's important to me to, to put, I put it in all of my dieters diets. And I, I know that the gurus tell them to avoid red meat and to avoid um, uh, dairy and to avoid fruit and to not salt their meals. And I lead with those four things. That's the first four things out of the gate that I do. Whole eggs, uh, Greek yogurt, steak, fruit, and, uh, and salt every single meal. That, that's what I start with. And that's why my clients are so happy and so healthy and, uh, you know, have so much energy and so strong and hold on to so much muscle tissue and their hair isn't falling out. And uh, that, that, you know, that's why I do so well out here is people actually like it. it's a lifestyle they can sustain and uh, they enjoy it. Yeah. You know, it's funny, <clears throat> you know, when, when I left uh, the seminar back in, uh, you know, July in DC, I came back, and I literally stopped in the store on the way. I went out and I got myself a, a, my Himalayan pink sea salt. I went yeah. back and I salted the next meal. My aunt looked at me. She goes, Moses, why are you putting salt on that? I said, salt is my new secret weapon. She was like, that's yes. absurd. I was like, hey, I was like, I don't make the rules. <laughs> and I've been consistent about it ever since. And I'll tell you what, man, the next 10 training sessions, I hit 10 PRs. Every single one of them. Yes. Actually. And I was like, all right, what have I been missing the last 22 years? <laughs> People really think I'm full of shit when I say it's life-changing, but your feedback to me is what I've consistently heard from thousands of people all over the world. I told you I got 50,000 DMs over the last two years, and I've answered more than 90% of them. And a lot of the feedback I get from people is how important salt has been for PRs and energy and stamina and endurance, much better they feel, and now they recover faster. And It's just a shame that, you know, the medical community, they, they – they just went ape shit when I posted that video. And it was specific for, you know, people who exercise, people who don't eat fast food and packaged food. And, you know, they get a sedentary individual that's hypertensive and overweight and is eating a can of Pringles a day. And they're like, Stan, you're going to kill these people. I'm like, well, 
those people probably shouldn't add salt to their diet. You know, they're not exercising and eating fast food. But the rest of us, man, it is of such great benefit. And then I also, I throw in there the fact that you, you definitely want to get uh, adequate potassium uh, to balance the water in the body so you don't, you don't experience any elevated blood pressure and probably a decline, as a matter of fact. And then the performance benefits of the potassium as well. Between the two, uh, you know, people go to the gym and just, they just feel euphoric. This is the way I felt throughout my career, which is why training was always so enjoyable to me. When I went to the gym, I was just, it was like watching Larry Wheels every freaking week. He said, right. <laughs> you know, and, and people get pissed off because they're not setting PRs every week. But that's really because, you know, maybe you're not sleeping enough. Maybe you're not hydrated well enough. And, uh, you know, using some of the, 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 the fundamentals that I, I incorporate into the vertical diet that are so important. So that training session becomes the most important stimulus for change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this will even remind me to add a little bit more salt before I go to the gym here, you know, after this interview. Uh, well, you know, kind of on the back end here, you know, we kind of chatted past, we kind of chatted present, but I love also just looking ahead to the future. Uh, you know, what is, what's up and coming for you, you know, coming on the back end of this tour, I'm sure you're resting at least a little bit more than you were. You can never really fully rest when you're running a business and all that. But I wonder what's, what's in the future for you? What are you, what are you looking ahead to? Uh, well, you know, we're going to publish the Vertical Diet book and hard copy. Um, and then right behind it, we've got a couple other books that we're, we've already developed. Uh, Vertical Kids, we're going to talk about how parents can optimize their children's nutrition so they can uh, reach their genetic potential. Uh, and then you know, there's a lot of women asking for specific things. Uh, and so we'll do a vertical, vertical for women, uh, things like PCOS and uh, you know, I mentioned earlier some of those hormone issues that, that they can suffer, um, you know, postmenopausal uh, estrogen suppression and things like that. So we'll talk more about the hormone stuff. And then, um, you know, that's on that side. We'll do an, we're going to do another seminar circuit. It's going to be more for the, the meatheads like me. It's going to be uh, Biggs University. I'm going to go around and uh, teach people how to get huge. And, and uh, we'll do seminars that include you know, more a deeper dive into performance enhancing drugs, but also into the blood testing and the ways to, uh, you know, to maintain your health and just to get as big as fricking possible yeah. uh, in the best way possible. So those things are all, all huge on the horizon uh, for us. It kind of maps out our next two years, really, uh, in terms of things that we've got going on. I got a lot of seminars that were lined up that'll be rescheduled after the beginning of the year, but uh, uh, it's just business as usual. I've got, you know, a lot of clients that I work with. We've got an app that we released that uh, helps people track their daily progress. Um, you know, their sleep hours and weights and their 10 minute walks and their workouts and uh, all the compliance things that I'm so, so adamant about. And that really, uh, that's really it. I'm just doing vertical diet full time. Obviously the meal prep company has been thriving. Uh, we're, we're you know, selling a lot more meals. We added new products. We got that world's strongest monster mash mm -hmm. deluxe with scrambled egg. That's almost 700 calories for less than seven bucks delivered free to your door. Uh, that's been a huge seller for us. It's the highest uh, calorie meal. I think it's got the lowest cost per calorie of any meal prep on the market. It's half the price because it's almost 700 calories for less than $7 of any of our competitors meals. And so we're proud of that and give back a little something to the, to the eaters instead of that little bird feed food that you get at most of those meal prep companies. Right. Yeah, I know. And I think I've had a few friends who have been, you know, getting meals from you. And I had a good friend at Liberty who just swore by the vertical diet for years. 
And he was just like, man, there's just, I'm getting more food. Like I'm actually full, you know, instead of eating three bites and you're like, damn, like, I guess, I guess it's it. I'll get yeah. eat again in a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got, there's only two things you can do. You can eat more and lift more or eat less and lift less. That's yeah. it. And I'd rather eat more and lift more. That's, that's my game. I think most people that are listening, I would hope their answer would be eat more and lift more. If their answer is eat less and lift less, you might be in the wrong, uh, wrong industry. <laughs> yeah, oh. that's Weight Watchers. You yes. did the wrong show. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not quite what we're looking for. Well, <clears throat> you know, yeah. obviously the name of the, the podcast is Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. Everybody I have on, we can talk about fitness till you know, our faces turn blue. But I think something that's, you know, has made this thing take off a little bit more, has been kind of looking behind the athlete, behind uh, the, the mega athletes I've been having on, has been this faith question. And, you know, what I ask is, you know, obviously my name's Moses, so everyone kind of expects me to be the, uh, the spiritual or religious nut. I can thank my parents for the name. Um, but I wonder for you, you know, what role, if any, has your own personal faith um, or spirituality, religion, et cetera, played into even how you've run your business, even how you viewed uh, the fitness industry as a whole and as you've built the vertical diet. Yeah, you know, I just found it uh, that we're all kind of, we, we all kind of worship in the gym. A lot of us are, are brothers in iron, you know, we go there and we're a family. And uh, it used to be kind of initially when CrossFit came out and you know, you had bodybuilders and, you know, CrossFitters and the like. And now we're all together, it seems. All the expos are attended by all of these people, the powerlifters, the strongmen, the bodybuilders, the fitness professionals, and the uh, UF. Folks and the WWE all really... Um, admire, uh, you know, the, the physical achievements, whether it's not your personal goal, you know, how much you can squat isn't, you know, it, it might be one guy's goal. And then, you know, getting to the CrossFit regionals or national championships might be somebody else's goal. But we, you know, you just pull up Instagram now and you see just such an unbelievable, uh, you, you know, level of performance sports performance from from so many people just every day you're just blown away i'm humbled as i go from gym to gym and i realize that uh you know we're all all together in that and uh it, it's a great stress relief for us all i find that people's mental health is uh is much improved when they're uh, committed to an exercise regimen that was part of our trip that we went around with bobby uh who works with um uh, ptsd sufferers and uh, people who are, you know, suicide prevention. And, you know, we talked a lot about the need to be able to, you know, to be together, to, uh, to exercise regularly, to, you know, both physically and mentally, how this helps us. And uh, I just saw, you know, so many, you know, thousands of, of really wonderful people who really enjoyed what they did. And we all kind of came together and, and worshiped in that gym, in those gyms together. Uh, and we knew that was one thing that, that kept us together, even in today's environment with COVID and all of the protesting and, and everything else that's going on, uh, we're together in there. And we, uh, you know, we were, that's what was so enjoyable about the whole thing. It did feel spiritual to me to be a part of that. Yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. <clears throat> well, kind of last big question, my personal favorite, you know, back in this topic of food, 
is this French toast question. First three yeah. seasons of this podcast, uh, I'd never mentioned breakfast food at all. And my mom had listened to some of, I think it might've been with Steffi Cohen. And she goes, Moses, why haven't you asked anyone about breakfast food? She was like, if you want us to listen, listen to breakfast food. So I asked this question on behalf of my mother to every athlete I've ever had on. You know, if there's one breakfast food that is just the absolute king for you, it doesn't even have to fit in the vertical diet, just something that is the absolute pivotal breakfast food for you, what is it? Yeah, I eat Monster Mash, brother. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I get up in the morning and I've got six ounces of bison and four scrambled eggs and I've got some bone broth in there and uh, you know I mash that all up and I love that stuff my kids I, I, I want them to get a gram of protein per pound of body weight yeah that was suggested by uh, uh, Jose Antonio PhD the president of the International Society of Sports Nutrition at the NSA NSCA conference this year uh, he uh, he had probably the largest attendance and it was about kids nutrition and he took literally 60 seconds to tell us his formal position on kids nutrition he said get your kids one gram of protein per pound of body weight and don't worry about the rest that was his honest to god statement and then he spent the rest of the time you know talking about other stuff uh but so one of the ways that i i get protein into my kids is i hide it uh i hide it in the monster mash and uh but i uh, also french toast that's one of my favorite ways to really? I, I put about as much egg about as much egg as I can possibly get on. I mean, it's so, the bread is so soaked with egg, it'll fall apart in your hand, you know. Right. And I, if, I can, if I can get them to eat that, I'm just counting, you know, gram per gram uh, per body weight and trying to get them to eat enough uh, protein. And it's a variety of sources. I'll get them to eat steak every day. I'll get them to eat some uh, eggs every day. And then I'll mix Greek yogurt with a little bit of milk and a scoop of um, protein powder, a flavored like uh, cookies and cream or something or nut crunch or whatever, doesn't matter to me. I'll mix that together in like a little paste and that's a treat, but it's, they don't realize that I'm, it's loaded with protein. Right. And so I give that to them every day. Uh, so I, I might have steered off track there, but uh, that's, that's my favorite and that's how I manage my kids' nutrition. Yeah, it makes me think of, you know, when we're little kids and, you know, we, we hate swallowing pills, right? As like five, six year old, like you never want to have to swallow like a baby aspirin or whatever. And I remember my mom would get like a pudding cup or Greek yogurt or whatever and would hide it in there just so I wouldn't know. And I think, oh, this is great. So that's all I could envision was you just like force feeding protein into stuff. The kids have no idea. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's awesome. Uh, well, last thing I got for you, Stan, um, you know, we're, we're obviously, well, I say obviously, we are hopefully coming to the back end uh, of COVID that people can, they're back training, competitions are kind of happening again, uh, some with masks, some without, you know, what is your advice, you know, to lifters, to athletes, soccer moms, dads who are just trying to get back into, you know, diet again, what is the top advice you have for people right now, especially in the midst of, you know, maybe still being a little disheartened that this COVID stuff's still going on. Yeah, in terms of diet, we know that the number one behavior that yields the most long-term success is meal prep. And so just get back into going grocery shopping, prepping all your meals, putting them in Tupperwares. I like to take them with me daily using my uh, thermos. It keeps the meal hot for 10 or 12 hours. And so I don't leave the house without a thermos or two. 
I know busy moms, you may be a real estate agent, picking your kids up from school, you got to take them to practice or, you know, something like that. Uh, if you don't have, you know, a meal prepared, then you're, you're more likely to end up where the kids are eating in fast food or something like that uh, and generally eating more. So meal prep is a huge one. Uh, tracking things daily is another monster. That's the second best behavior. That which gets measured gets improved. So start get a little spreadsheet out, just write the days of the month across the top and a list of the behaviors that you'd want to consistently track on the left-hand side and, and just fill in the little box. Hours of sleep, um, morning body weight, uh, just a check for each meal that you ate that day, maybe a check for your 10-minute walks, um, and then get a coach. Now would be a great time. It, it, it you know, encourages you to get back to the gym and um, go ahead and hire a trainer for 30 or 60 days so you get back in the groove of things is huge so uh, and then consistency is the biggest thing you know I always say compliance is the science and so when you get back into it just start with those 10 minute walks I take them after every meal at least three times a day I like to attach new habits to old habits and so you know everybody eats every day and so if I attach a 10 minute walk to a, a meal then you know like a little uh, it's a way of knowing that every time I eat I'm also going to take a 10 minute walk and if, you know, if, if the weather doesn't permit or, or what have you, or you don't have the kind of environment where you can do that, then just get a little stationary bike or a cumbent bike and put it in your living room. And uh, that's huge in terms of, uh, you know, I've talked to you in terms of blood sugar control and digestion. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a great habit to form. And you'll end up doing 30 plus minutes a day of, of quote unquote cardio. Yep. Uh, so those are the biggies. Compliance is the big deal. So uh, follow those closely. Yeah. Well, folks, this has just been a, a great conversation uh, with the white rhino, uh, Stan Efferding. You can find him on Instagram, of course, at Stan Efferding. Or if you want to go pick up a cooler for yourself after that Shark Tank pitch, you can find him at, you guessed it, StanEfferding.com. This man has branded himself across everything pretty simply. Uh, so you can go check him out. If you want to hear more from us at the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Faith Fitness and French Toast or on Spotify and iTunes. With that, folks, we will catch you next time. Well, folks, as we just said, this was just a great conversation with Stan Efferding, the white rhino. You can find him on Instagram at Stan Efferding or get a cooler for yourself at StanEfferding.com. If you love the episode and you're craving a little bit more from us, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast or follow us on Instagram at Faith Fitness Podcast for full interviews, trailers, and more for the rest of season four. We have great guests lined up for these last few episodes, so don't forget to turn on your post notifications on Instagram and stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear about guest announcements and my staple, the early episode releases. With that, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, at Big Mo Powerlifting on Instagram. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll see you next week with Dan Grigsby.